Pastor Jeff is uh, Genesis 20. If you could go ahead and turn there. Genesis 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, he, she is my sister? And she herself say, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And I, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, and called all his servants, and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that, you ought, not to, that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in all this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother." Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, oxen and, may, and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. <clears throat> vindicated excuse me. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. And also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at your word today... As we look at this stumbling of Abraham, God, I ask that you would help us to see a bit of ourselves in him. God, I ask that you would help us to see our own lack of faith, areas where we don't trust you quite enough. God, I pray that you would help all of us to see the weights and sins that are holding us back, and that you would help us to turn from those things, to let them go and turn to you, God. 
God, we see that your plans and your promises are, are infinitely good and infinitely wise. And so, God, I pray that as we, we study your word, as we see the way you interact with Abraham, the way you keep your covenant in light of his sin, God, that we would learn to trust you and to treasure you more, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's, it's chapters like this one, Genesis chapter 20, um, that can really cause a lot of trouble, especially for people like me, people who have to actually study and preach and teach uh, these things, because it's a little bit confusing. There, it kind of brings a little bit, a bit of discomfort as we read this passage. I mean, we have Abraham, the man of faith, stumbles in, in, in such a, a silly in, in foolish way, really. I mean, you might remember this isn't the first time Abraham has been in this situation, right? The, the, the record of the Bible is not on repeat. Uh, this is something that he's actually done again. Uh, back in chapter 12 of Genesis, a famine came upon the land as Abraham was sojourning there. And uh, because of that famine, he, he feared um, that they wouldn't have provisions, so he went down into uh, the wicked land of Egypt— his wife was so beautiful um, that, that he was worried about his own life, that he might be murdered in order that uh, his wife might be taken from him. So he had Sarah lie and say that she was just his brother uh, and saying nothing about being his husband as well. Well, while he's there, you might remember Pharaoh does indeed see the beauty of Sarah, and he does indeed take her to be his wife. And Abraham's uh, foolish plan, you know, uh, I know what will protect me going down to wicked Egypt. I know uh, what, what will keep me safe while I'm there. Uh, lying about my relationship with Sarah completely blew up in his face. Um, he has his wife uh, taken by Pharaoh, but, but God frees them, uh, gets them out of that. But that was back in chapter 12, okay? Things are different now here in chapter 20 uh, because something's happened in between those two chapters. In chapter 15, you may remember, uh, Abraham is, is talking with God. God's reminding him and strengthening the promises and even giving him uh, more, more specifics of the promises. And it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is, salvation happened in chapter 15. Um, you know, we, we know that, that this believing in God was believing that there would be a Savior, that there would be one to deal with this problem of sin uh, as God had promised originally in Genesis 3.15. You know, we now know that that's uh, found in Jesus Christ, that he is that promised seed. Abraham was looking forward to that in faith. So at this point, chapter 20, Abraham is saved. He's a new person, right? Surely, surely this, this saved man, this now saint, uh, isn't going to stumble in his faith again, right? You know, before he was just following God, but it was as a pagan following God. Now he's really trusted in God. Now he's really been, been changed and if he does stumble, surely he won't stumble in the same exact way, right? I mean, that's not what saints do. 
That, that, right? That, that's not what Christians do. I mean, this man Abraham, uh, no less, has been chosen by God, counted righteous by God. He's been called a friend of God in Isaiah 41, 8. He's designated as the father of the faith, the father of the Christian faith in, in Romans chapter 4. And now God has even told Abraham, hey, I'm not only going to give you an heir, I'm not only going to bless you and give you an heir and make you the father of many nations, I am going to do it through your wife Sarah, right? They already tried it with Hagar, but God rejected that child. And so God makes it explicit that this, in chapter 17, God makes it explicit that the heir would come through Sarah and no one else. So it's a pretty big deal. I want you to get this. We won't talk much about it, but it's a pretty big deal that Abraham has put his family, put this promise, this covenant promise, in such a, a, a terrible situation. His wife has been taken by the king. That, that's a problem for having an heir through her, right? Uh, his, his wife has been taken into the harem to uh, either become one of Abimelech's wives or, or at least concubines. And so, at this point, because of Abraham's foolishness, if God doesn't intervene, it's all over. <laughs> the, the covenant promise is done. And all of this happened because of the sin of this saint, Abraham. I mean, so this is a, this is a troubling thing. Did he really do this a second time? Is he really a saved man? Could a, a saint really stumble in this way? And so this leaves us with some pretty important questions that I want to uh, help us think about and answer today. I'll, I'll just tell you, these will be kind of my flow of the sermon. Uh, the first question will be, how could Abraham let this happen? How, how did the man of faith act so faithful, faithlessly? Sorry, how did the man of faith, Abraham, act so faithlessly? I mean, where did this big sin come from? The second thing I want to look at is, why would God allow this to happen? <laughs> if, if it's such a big deal, if it's so scary, if it's so uh, embarrassing even, why would God let the hero of our faith act so foolishly, and on the other hand, make Abimelech, the pagan king, act so honorably? What was God's purpose in all of this? And then thirdly, and maybe most importantly, what can we actually learn from the stumbling of this saint? How can we apply this today? And I'll tell you, this really is important uh, for all of us who call Christ Lord of our lives, who call ourselves Christians or saints, because all of us saints— without question, will we'll come up against similar uh, pressure, similar struggles and temptations to those that Abraham faced all those years ago. So, so it's important for us uh, to know whether, whether great or small that there will be times that there are these pressures that we would sin, that we would compromise, that our faith would lapse. And so we need to know Number one, how can I keep this from happening? How can I withstand the, t the trials and temptations? And when I do fail, when I do stumble like Abraham, how do I respond correctly? So we need to know the answers to these questions if we're to walk the same path of faith as Abraham did all these years ago. <clears throat> so let's dig in here. How could Abraham let this happen? 
Again, how could he really sojourn to this wicked place and really himself lie and, and have Sarah lie once again? He's supposed to be the man of faith. Where, where did this sin come from? Well, what I want to show you of, of how he let this happen is this was not an anomaly in Abraham's life. This wasn't an isolated event that came out of nowhere. And, and sin is like that. It, when it emerges in our lives, it does not come out of nowhere. It is not an anomaly. There are deeper roots. There are deeper patterns in our lives. And the same was true for Abraham. There were patterns in his life that he should have seen that led up to this big sin that was exposed for all to see. I mean, again, you have an entire nation sees this man Abraham sin. So what are the patterns uh, that led up to this, that, that, that allowed him to sin in such, such a way? <clears throat> First, I would say, and I'll show you this in the text, Abraham had rationalized and settled into sin. He'd rationalized and settled into sin. Look at it in uh, verses 11 through 13. Verses 11 through 13. This is uh, when Abimelech asks Abraham why he would lie to him, why he would bring them under God's judgment like this. Verse 11, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. In that passage, we see that Abraham, in his, in his even Christian walk, you could call it, um, had been rationalizing and then settling into this sin. Look at how he rationalized it. Uh, verse 12, he says, Besides, I mean, he's talking to the, the king here. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of, daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. I mean, do you, do you hear the rationalization there? Well, we didn't explicitly say anything that wasn't factual, you know. It doesn't make any difference that I completely misrepresented reality, you know. I just didn't explicitly um, lie to you or say anything that was completely untrue. There's this rationalization. Okay, it's, she's my half-sister, so it's really only a half-lie for me to mi misrepresent us this way. So it's not that big of a deal. Uh, my old pastor um, that, that I was un under for, for many years, he used to call this, this rationalization, the inner lawyer of the flesh. The inner lawyer of the flesh. And he used to say, anytime we're tempted, you know, we're, we're trying to decide how we're going to respond, what we're going to do. And there is in that moment, this inner lawyer of the flesh that starts giving us reasons and excuses for why uh, this isn't such a big deal. He starts to help us rationalize, you know, well, she is your half-sister, it's no big deal. Just go ahead and commit this sin, this inner lawyer of the flesh says. But this lawyer is lying. 
Anytime you have the, the lawyer, the inner lawyer, come up in your heart and say, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of true. It's not that big of a deal if you sin in this way. Oh, other people are sinning in far bigger ways than this. This isn't that big of a deal. Just get, it's lying to you. That inner lawyer is wrong because rationalizations uh, have, have a, a common trend. They, they don't actually give us excuses. They just make us think we have them, right? There, there is no excuse for sin, but these rationalizations make us think, no, my circumstances are different. But the fact is, when we stand before God, he is not going to be impressed with our rationalizations. He's not going to be impressed by your special extenuating circumstances for why it is okay for you to sin. We quiet our consciences with these rationalizations, and that's exactly what Abraham did. She really is my half-sister, even though I'm being entirely misleading when I talk to people about her. But he not only rationalized, but he settled into this sin. This was a, a long-standing pattern. Look at that in, in verse 13. It's, he says, And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, so he left Ur and then later Haran, I said to her, to Sarah, This is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which, me, which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Do you see how he's settled into this? I mean, he has actually made plans to sin at every place to which they've come. And he's following through with those plans. He did it in Egypt, and here we are uh, about 25 years later, and he is still committing this same sin the Bible doesn't give us any more examples of this, but it's possible that they actually lied about this many times and got away with it, or the Bible just didn't record it. But, but here we see he's rationalized this sin. Oh, it's no big deal, the inner lawyer says. You have different circumstances. And then he settled into it. You know what? I'm just going to continue in this sin. So it's really no surprise when we come to chapter 20 and Abraham commits this sin and gets himself in all this trouble. What was inside this, this rationalization and this settled uh, unrepentant sin came out. That, that should be no surprise to us. It was a pattern in his life of sin. But there's a second pattern that actually made the first one happen, okay? Okay. There's a second pattern that, that made him uh, be okay with rationalizing and okay with settling in that sin. And that is, Abraham had fear mixed with his faith. Abraham had fear mixed with his faith. See, anytime we fear something or want something to a, a greater degree than our faith in God, that will cause us to sin. It is inevitable. If your desire for something is up here and your faith in God is down here, you're going to go with your desire for that other thing. If your fear of something is up here and your, your fear of God is down here, you're going to, you know, uh, respond to that other fear rather than God in faith. Abraham had fear mixed with his faith. I mean, sometimes Abraham was an incredibly courageous, faithful man. So I, I'm really not trying to, to knock him too bad here. I mean, the guy left his, his household and is just wandering around in the desert from town to town. I mean, if God told you, hey, go wander around the Middle East, 
Would that just be like an easy thing for you? Oh, you no, know, don't take your friend, you know, just you, you and just your little clan. You, you guys wander around, no support system whatsoever. <laughs> Abraham did that. He left his home because God told him to. Later on, there's the, the band of kings that capture Lot, and he goes after them. He goes after the, this band of, of several kings, and, and this is an incredibly courageous act from, from Abraham. And later he, you know, intercedes for Sodom and the, the other cities of the plain. Um, as we just saw in, in our study last week, he, he intercedes. I mean, this, this is a faithful thing that he's doing. But, but, and this is what we need to notice, at the very same time as he had these moments of, of strong faith, there was also a, a pattern of half-heartedness. He had half faith in God and half Fear in man and his situation and his circumstances. Half-heartedness. You think about it, I mean, just examples. This is a pattern in his life. When God originally told him to leave, uh, to, to leave Ur, he said, leave your father's house and leave your kindred. But as we see in the, the passage there in uh, chapter 11 and 12, he left, but he left with his father. His father and his father's house came with him. That was not part of the plan. That's not even to mention his nephew Lot came with him. Then he's told to go to a land that God would show him, but then they quickly settle in Haran, and they were not supposed to do that. When it came uh, time for, for God to fulfill his promises, you know, uh, Abraham's like, okay, God still hasn't fulfilled his promise to give me an heir, Right? And so Abraham and Sarah uh, contrive a, a plan of their own that, of course, led to the birth of Ishmael when Abraham slept with Hagar, which was um, Sarah's servant girl. And that's, that's faithlessness. God's not fulfilling his promise yet, so I'm going to do it for him in my own way. And then, uh, of course, we saw in chapter 12 this, this, that, that famine that had already come on the land he didn't believe God could provide for him, so he had a self-made provision. I'll, I'll go to Egypt, even though it's wicked, even though I really shouldn't be there. I'll go there because there will be provision. He didn't trust God in that area. And then in, instead of trusting God to protect him while in Egypt, there was this self-made protection. We'll lie about our relationship, Sarah. That is what will keep us safe. So once again, this is a pattern in Abraham's life. Yes, he, he's got this faith, but he's got these, these obvious areas of half-heartedness, right? Of, of areas where his, his faith fails. So it really, again, should be no surprise to us when we come here to chapter 20 in Abraham, because of his, his fear instead of faith, acts in this sinful way that he had settled into. I mean, to answer our question, how did Abraham end up stumbling in such a big way? Well, the fact is the roots of this sin, the roots of this stumbling were there the whole time. He'd settled into his sin because he didn't really trust God. So that's how this happened. I want us to see that. I mean, you can trace these things out in his life of how this big sin happened. And I want to, again, impress upon you, when a sin comes out in your life, it is not an anomaly. There are root issues. There are patterns that need to be dealt with. And that's how Abraham failed. That's how we fail and stumble. But now we need to look at why this happened. 
This one's going to be a little more interesting. Why would God allow this to happen? It may sound like an interesting question to you, an odd question, but, you know, we have this, this hero of our faith. It, it fails while God actually uh, helps the pagan king to look good. I mean, let me just show you this from the text, that God allowed this sin to happen. I'm, I'm not misspeaking. It is God who allowed this sin to happen. Look at me, uh, look with me at verses 1 through 6. This is uh, the, the account with Abimelech. It says, from there, Abraham uh, journeyed toward the ter- territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. This is where we need to pay attention right here. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this stuff. It's really pretty crazy, and I don't want it to go over your head as we, you know, just skim through this. I mean, Abimelech is in grave danger here. He's about to sin against uh, Abraham and Sarah and their marriage. But not only that, he's about to sin against the God of the universe who has made a covenant with this man and this promise through Sarah. Once again, if if he um, comes together with Sarah, it is really going to mess up this whole covenant plan. So this is grave danger he's in. But something amazing happens, of course. God says, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. I mean, did you catch it this time? Uh, God's not being subtle. He's speaking in very clear terms. It was God who kept Abimelech from sinning. God actively interceded and kept Abimelech from sinning. I mean, this this is incredible. This pagan king about to commit a terrible sin. This is the intention of his heart, where he's headed, but God miraculously keeps him from doing so. That's an astonishing uh, truth from God's word. Some of us like to keep God, no, no, you're not allowed to have that kind of effect on human beings, but we see right here, God is able to keep people from sinning. He's not afraid. He's not restrained by anything outside of him from keeping us from sinning whenever he pleases. But that leaves us with kind of a, maybe a more intriguing question. Hopefully that deepens the question. If God is able to keep people from sinning whenever he pleases, like he did with Abimelech, why didn't he keep Abraham from sinning in the very same uh, context here? He kept one man, but, but not Abraham, the man of faith. Why didn't God miraculously intervene and stop Abraham? Why didn't he intervene and say, no, do not go to Gerar? 
or no, do not say she is your sister, you know, in some way keeping him from telling this lie, keeping Sarah from telling this lie. Why would God allow this sin? This is a big question. This is tough stuff, so I hope you will bear with me. I believe the answer is that why God would allow Abraham to sin in such a big way, this literally national sin he commits, is as we just saw, Abraham had some deep-seated patterns of spiritual immaturity that needed to be worked out. He had the, these patterns, this, this, this sin pattern uh, that stemmed from this lack of faith. And God, in his grace, was willing to even use the sin of Abraham to grow him in greater faith and greater holiness. God wasn't going to allow him to continue to walk in unrepentant sin. I hope you, you know that from God's word. A, a believer will not just continue in unrepentant sin. God is going to convict them. God is going to call them on that sin. He will break us. And he's certainly not going to let Abraham continue to walk in this half-hearted, fear-mingled faith where every time the pressure comes on, he says, okay, I'm going to escape. You know, you think about it. Abraham, he, he has this faith, but he's kind of got a leash on it. This is how far I'll let you take me, God. And God's saying here, no, that's not going to happen. Now, let me be careful here. God allows Abraham to commit this, this sin in order to convict him towards repentance and greater faith. But, but we need to get this clear. God did not make Abraham sin. That would be heretical against the Bible. God did not make Abraham sin. He did not tempt Abraham to sin. God simply allowed Abraham to do what his heart wanted to do. God did not intervene, and God let him display, put on display this sin and lack of faith so that he would be forced to deal with it. And I want to be careful again just because God used this sin for good in Abraham's life, it still was not okay for Abraham to sin, right? It was still sin. It was still uh, disgusting, uh, rebellion against God, appalling. There are still consequences. But God, in his grace, was willing to use the faithlessness of Abraham to actually grow him in greater faith and obedience. I hope that makes sense. If God was able to stop Abimelech, he could have stopped Abraham, but he did not. God does nothing without purpose. And God's purpose for letting Abimelech look good and Abraham look like a fool was to bring it to Abraham's attention. Hey, you have some things you need to deal with. You need to cling to me closer. You need to grow in your faith. That's what sin is in our life. I just want to show you this um, in Abraham's instance, just how clear it was in his face, because some of these things have happened to me. Uh, the ways that Abraham uh, received this con conviction, the way he's rebuked. Um, first, if you look in, in verse 8, Abimelech, this pagan king, and his servants show far more fear of God than Abraham does. Look at it in verse 8. 
So Abimelech, this is after God talked to him. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Abimelech is in such fear that he gets up early in the morning and he calls all his servants together. And then when he tells them, here's what happened to me in a dream. God appeared to me. This, this Yahweh God appeared to me. And now they are in fear. All of them. They, they're fearing this God, what he will do to them. Now, I'm not saying they were believers or anything like that. That makes it even worse that they are pagans. But in this moment, they absolutely fear God more than Abraham did. And they, they show it in the way that they respond. If you go to verse 9 through 11. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. <laughs> That's a firm rebuke from a pagan king, uh, right? You've done things that ought not to be done. So I'm a pagan king, but even I see that what you have done is wrong. Even I see that what you've done is foolish. This is terrible that you would treat us in this way with such disrespect, such disregard and lie. And we see Abraham's response. This is crazy stuff. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Do you see the irony there? Abraham believes these people have no fear of God. So because of that, because he thinks they have no fear of God, Abraham is actually more afraid of the people than he is of God. And he shows that, that, that lack of fear for God because he sins against God by trying to protect himself from the people. You see that? They, they have this fear of God, and Abraham's, you know, sinning and saying, well, you guys have no fear of God. I mean, I think that would have been kind of a, an awkward thing for him to, to answer Abimelech. Well, I lied to you because you guys don't fear God like I do. Yeah, I, I, I sinned against you because uh, you guys aren't as godly as me. <laughs> That's basically what, he, what he's saying here. Um, there's such irony and this should have, I'm sure, this was a slap in the face to Abraham. I thought these were wicked people. I thought they had no fear of God. But it turns out in this situation, it was me that had no fear of God. And we see this, this uh, sin, this faithlessness, just put on display for Abraham to see. I'm just going to give you an example here. <clears throat> I'm not going to give you many details because they're, they're not important. Uh, but I've actually had this happen to me very recently in my own life. Um, my, my wife and I just, you know, again, without many details, just the pressures of raising children and how we're responding and uh, things like that. Uh, not, not too long ago, I, I talked to my wife and I was like, you know, I don't think you're acting perfectly in these circumstances. I think you could be responding better to these, these stresses and these strains. Now, I'll tell you, I didn't even go about it in, in a great way, the way that I told her, um, and I had to even apologize for that, just the way I talked to her about it. It's okay for spouses to, to, to exhort each other, but I didn't go about that well. Um, but, but even further than that, it got, it got even more sideways because right after, I'm telling you, like, uh, it was like a, 
<laughs> some, a switch in me. Right after I had kind of, you know, rebuked her for this thing, I saw the exact same thing in myself with greater clarity uh, than I probably ever had, and probably to a greater, de- no, not even probably, and to a greater degree than what I had been calling my wife on. <laughs> Hallie, you're not acting well in this area. And then I start to look at my own life and the way I'm responding. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm the one not acting well in this area. Maybe it's, maybe, I mean, Hallie, you know, we, we've all got growth that needs to hap- happen, but, you know, maybe I am really the one that needs to focus on myself. And I, I'll tell you, it was humbling to say the least. We even talked about it on the way here. I was like, Hallie, just so you know, I'm going to tell people <laughs> what, uh, what, what happened. And, and it, it's humbling to sit there and talk to her about it. Uh, but Hallie being um, the, the amazing wife that she is, uh, she's handling it gracefully and, you know, and uh, accepts my apology and says she'll, she'll walk with me when we'll, we'll both walk through the stresses of <laughs> raising children. But anyways, it was humbling to, to believe something about her, to see the worst in another person, and God, in his grace, then showed me that I was struggling with the very same thing. That's what happened to Abraham here. He was, he was focused on the speck in the other people's eye and didn't see the log in his own. And so God allowed him to make a nationwide sin, right? He, he sinned against the king. The king's house is afflicted because of this. And so now he's got a mirror in front of himself, right? Now he can see this log in his eye. So God allowing him to sin, as bad as it was, was actually a grace from God to let him see his sin. So Abraham must have been entirely humbled at this point. I thought they were sinners, but I'm the one who sinned against them. I thought they had no fear of God, no faith in God, but it turns out that I'm the one who had so little fear of God and so little faith in God that I did not keep my integrity intact. And I'll tell you, it should have been uh, humbling and uh, just crazy for Abraham that God delivers him from this. I don't want to miss that point. God kept his covenant. Abraham, because of his sin, got them into this situation that put the covenant in peril And even though Abraham sinned, God still intervened and God still redeemed the situation. I mean, this had to melt Abraham. It had to melt him. I mean, what is left for for a Christian man to do at this point but to fall on the mercy and grace of God? Yes, he had been saved but it seems like he was not clinging to God in the way that he should. I mean, what's left for him to do but at this moment to cry out, Oh, wretched man that I am, right? God, save me from myself. God, help me to trust you because I see very clearly right now that I don't trust you the way that I should. God, help me to obey even when it's difficult, even when it's dangerous. God, I want and need more of you in my heart, and in my life. Really, what's left to do? What what more is left for him to do? He can either throw in the towel or turn to God. And God was using this sin as as a redemptive force in Abraham's life 
And God kept Abimelech from sinning just to make the contrast all the more clear. <clears throat> Abraham, <clears throat> excuse me, was responsible for his sin 100%, okay? Again, we're not, God is not uh, on the stand right now. Abraham is responsible for his sin 100%, but God in his grace and his mercy allowed it to be put on display to draw Abraham closer to himself. So what was the result with Abraham? And then we'll apply this to ourselves. There's no reason to believe Abraham was perfect after this, so I'm, I'm certainly not going to say that, but I truly believe and truly see in Genesis that his faith was strengthened and sin was repented of. He was no longer walking in this settled, all right, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to sin. His rationalization was gone. His conviction had returned, and his faith in God was strengthened. I believe that because uh, we never again um, in, in Genesis see him fear men more than God. You know, he kind of had made a pattern of doing that. He never again lapses in his uh, faith in God in any way that we see. I mean, We'll see as we move further. God has Abraham do some pretty crazy things that would require some pretty significant amounts of faith. Like, hey, your son of promise that I've now finally given you, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. <laughs> and Abraham raises the knife. His faith had been strengthened at this point. And I would say a second reason I believe that is the New Testament gives us a picture of the finished product of Abraham. Romans 4, 18 through 21 says, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. As the sands of the sea, as the stars in the sky. Verse 19, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver consider, concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham did not begin as the Romans for faithful man. God was molding him. God was shaping him. He became a saint in uh, Genesis 15. But here we see him stumbling, yet God is actually using it to sharpen him and to shape him into the man he wants him to be. <clears throat> so answering our questions, how could Abraham let this happen? Well, there, there were patterns in his life that went unaddressed. Why would God let this happen? Well, to address those very problems. God was willing to, to let the man of faith look foolish and even probably in some ways make God look foolish in order to bring him to repentance and greater faith. God wanted more of his heart. So now the question for us today is, what can we learn from the stumbling of this saint? As I said, we'll all face similar pressure, similar uh, circumstances, similar times that we would want to rationalize and sin, and we'll even all stumble from time to time. So what can we learn from this saint? I would say the first thing we should learn is that it's not okay to be a half-hearted 
Christian, when you look at your life, is it marked by faith? What about your life requires faith? I mean, going to church does not, in general, require faith, um, at least not in our country. God wants us to grow in faith. He, he says in Romans uh, 12, he wants all of us, and he wants us to be changed. Listen to this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So that's be, be full-hearted, fully committed to God in all of your life. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. God wants us to fully submit to him. God wants us to grow in our faith, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. <clears throat> Again, how do we recognize these areas of weak faith? I'd say, as in Abraham's instance, follow the trail of sin. Where there is sin in your life, where sin uh, comes out, you can, you can rewind the tape and say, okay, what area of my heart is not given over to God that allowed me to sin in this way? Do I, do I not believe that God is better than this sin? Do, is my faith lacking there? Do I not believe God can bring me through this trial? Do I not believe God can truly work through me? <clears throat> Follow the trail of sin. I'd say another way that we can um, mature and, and, and recognize these areas of lack of faith is, are you proud? <laughs> are you a proud person? Do you, do you look at Abraham and, and scoff and say, how could he be so foolish? That sinner. I mean, if we have pride in our hearts, that shows that we do not have a proper understanding of who we are or the gospel or what God's grace is. We saw God humble Abraham here, right? God humbles him, lets him sin in such a stupid way. And my, me and my wife, God had to humble me in that way because there was, there was this pride, there was this, this, hey, you need to work on this. God humbled me. If there is pride, there is a lack of faith, a lack of understanding of the realities of the gospel. And then I would finally say, do you have limits on where God can take you? Could God ask you to do something crazy and you actually do it? Or has he already asked you to do something crazy and you're saying, nope, not going there, not doing that, not saying that, not giving that. That will put me in too bad of a situation. That shows a lack of faith, right? We need to grow. We cannot be half-hearted Christians. God is not satisfied with that. You think of how we can mature 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Long for this, this pure spiritual milk that will help you to grow. Christian, you will not grow in your faith without drinking the milk that God provides. 
God, God gives us tools with which we are to, to give ourselves to God and grow in our faith. Now, I'll tell you, we have a lot more uh, advantages than Abraham did. He, he wasn't pulling out his phone in the Bible app when, you know, when he had some free time. I'm just going to study God's word real quick. He didn't have a Bible. <laughs> there was no such thing yet. He only had God's word that God had spoken to him and what he had heard from his fathers and had been passed down that God had said. That was all he had. But we have our Bibles. We probably all have, you know, no less than 10 Bibles in our houses. But the question is, are we giving ourselves to God's word to be transformed by the Spirit? Abraham had this, but we, we certainly do. We could spend time in prayer with God, building this vibrant relationship with God, because the closer your relationship with God is, the more you will experience his faithfulness. I promise you. Other things Abraham didn't have that we actually do have is we need to commit to attending church, right? Abraham's out there in the wilderness. He did not have a church service to go to, a, a band of brothers to, to corporately worship with. He didn't have a pastor to preach to him and exhort him and encourage him to grow his faith. But we do. Even if you don't come here, go to church. <laughs> Please, th th we need this to be, to be corporately exhorted. But not only that, I would say we need to be individually exhorted and encouraged. Find Christians around you and build relationships with them that are based on Christ. People who know you, who know what you struggle with, who know what you, you strive, uh, are striving toward, who, who can speak into your life, who can encourage you with God's word. We need these things. And I would say, just because I'm a lover of books, we have thousands and thousands of great <laughs> books that Abraham had no idea would ever exist. And they are written by men and women of God who spent their lives, devoted their lives to studying God's word, to, to working out God's word, to, to living out God's word, and then putting it on paper. Read some good Christian books. I'm not going to give you the list of ones you shouldn't read, but <laughs> I'm tempted to. Anyways, there are some good books. I mean, in my own life, I've had men from a thousand years ago speak into it and, and help me to grow by God's grace. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. We need to grow in our faith, right? Because that's, that's what allows us to sin. That's what, what, what blocks us from, <clears throat> from, from enjoying God to the fullest, and then I would say, and hopefully this is obvious, repent of any sin. Abraham was half-hearted in his faith. This led to patterns of unrepentant sin. You need to know this. If you have unrepentant sin in your life, it is clouding your mind. It is clouding your relationship with God, and it is clouding your faith in God. We need to repent of sin. First, we can ask God to reveal that sin to us, right? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. God, where am I missing it? Because we oftentimes, like Abraham, we've rationalized. We have shut our conscience down in that area, and we need God to uncover that sin. Ask God. You can even maybe ask your friends, your wife, your husband, where am I stumbling? 
And then when God reveals, repent. When God reveals your sin, repent of your sin. Psalms 51.2, this is after, Ab- uh, sorry, after David fell with Bathsheba. He said, wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. God, God, get this out of me. I don't want it. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then, of course, the New Testament, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ask God to reveal, and when he reveals, repent of your sin. Then finally, I would just say this because of what I see in the text. As God does these things in your life, as God works sin out of your life, as God grows you in righteousness, as God grows you in faith, be sure to give God all the glory for it. This is important. Do not make God humble you by allowing you to fall in some sin that lands you in a bunch of trouble. Don't wait for that. Give God all the glory, all the credit for it. Remember, it was God who kept Abimelech from sinning, right? That wasn't by his own strength. I guess we could put it this way. This is how I think of it. We as Christians, according to God's word, must always take responsibility for our growth and for our holiness. But we should always give God the credit for our growth and holiness. Don't believe me? Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work hard. Work out your salvation and do that knowing that it's God that's giving you the desire and the ability to grow in holiness and to grow in faith. And Paul even says of himself, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, uh, but, the grace, oh, by, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. If your holiness, your, you know, your repenting of sin and, and doing righteousness leads you to pride, it's not stemming from faith. Okay, it's, it's stemming from, from your flesh. It is actually another form of sin because you're impressed with yourself. Do not make God humble you. Go ahead and say, you know what? I am but dust. I am worse than dust. I am dust to ascend against the God of the universe. But by his grace, he has saved me through Jesus Christ. By his grace, he is not done with me and he is continually working sin out of my life. By his grace, he even occasionally lets me sin to show me my need for him again, that I might cling to him and cling to the cross all the more. Abraham stumbled. Saints still stumble. That is a, a fact of life. It is a fact of the way God made things. God could have made you perfect at the moment of salvation. He could have made all of us per- perfect at the moment of salvation, but he did not. His choice was to, to, to let us 
uh, work out our salvation so that he can work in us and us walk with him through that. Because that's the way he receives the glory for it. And then how do we apply all of this? We grow in our faith, we repent of sin, and we give God all the glory. That's, that is what I see here from God's word in Genesis chapter 20. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and we'll have our time of response. And I really want to urge you to take this time seriously, okay? It's not just a fun song and a time we bow our heads and give our eyes a rest. I believe that for the past how many ever minutes, probably too many minutes, God has been talking to all of us. You hear me? God has been talking to us through his word and through any truth that has come out of my mouth. God has been talking to all of us. Now, right now, is our chance to talk back to him and to respond to him in obedience. This is your time. You can do it later, I understand, but I'm, I'm urging you to take this opportunity that's given to you. You can do that from your seat if you like. Talk to God and deal with him there. I'll be up here. You can pray with me. And, and I mean, really, if God is putting it on you. Just, just come up here and pray. Lay it before him. God, here's my sin. Here's my areas that I'm weak in faith. Would you grow me, God? Let's pray. Father God, we've seen today that though you are good, you are perfect, your saints still stumble. God, I'm so thankful that though we are faithless at times, you are always faithful, just like you were with Abraham in spite of his sin. And God, while we recognize you often clean up our messes, we don't want it to be that way, God. God, we want to grow in greater faith in you, God. We want to trust you even when it's difficult. We want to trust you even when it's scary. We want to trust you even when we might want something else. God, help us to not have to make a wreck of things in our life just so that we see our sin and our need for you, Lord. Reveal that to us now, Lord. God, if there's anyone in this room who has not recognize their sin and the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. I pray that they would recognize it now. Maybe they see that they've sinned in many of the same ways as Abraham, but they can have the same salvation as Abraham by faith in the salvation that you provide, God. God, help us to grow in grace. Help us to grow and not be satisfied with where we're at. Help us to not be proud of how far we've come. Help us to give you all the glory. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.